All right. So this is Monday and the, the first day of our June uh, online retreat. And we have several folks who have not been with us for the previous ones, which is wonderful. It's great to see. And um, as I said earlier, we will have an opportunity to uh, interact, ask, answer questions if you have them. Uh, and as we go through the week, we will talk more about our meditation practice and our Kriya Yoga practice and our spiritual practice, which are all part of one thing. Uh, so we'll begin with the review this morning because we do have several that have not been with us. So it's useful for us to remember that our, our nature, our essence of being is spiritual. We are spiritual beings in a spiritual universe. And we are, uh, we, we have become identified, this essence of our being has become identified with a mind and a body and a brain and an emotional nature and several different uh, functioning aspects of ourself. But at the core, our essence is always perfect. It's always whole. It is a unit of the pure essence of ultimate reality. It's a unit of God, inseparable from that. It's not a unit like, you know, your car, your tire is a unit of your car and you can replace that. This is, is one thing and we are a part of it. And so Mr. Davis used to remind us that because of that, we have all knowledge of it and its processes within us. So at the core, we are not only perfect and whole, we are immortal, timeless. We are immensely powerful because we have all the power of the universe of God moving through us and expressing as us. And so our, our spiritual practice is really one of remembering, coming back into this awareness. And, that, and when I say awareness, I mean realization, experience. Uh, Roy said that realization is experience with knowledge. So to have the experience and the knowledge, the awareness of our true nature, this is our spiritual path. And uh, we believe with number one, with the possibility that we can be fully awake, that we can uh, have this experience of our true nature, of our higher self, that, that we can move beyond all the conditionings and limitations and karmas and, and all the other things that kind of are strings that hold us down. We can move past all that and come into this awareness of ourself and become fully liberated, that is, fully unconstrained, fully without limits in this lifetime. So this is possible. So first we accept that possibility for ourselves. And then the next thing is, the next question is, well, okay, I accept it, it's possible, but how do I do it? And the cornerstone, the foundation of our spiritual practice is our meditation. So we just had an opportunity to meditate together quietly. And, and our meditation practice is uh, an opportunity for us to allow the mind, the thoughts, the consciousness to come clear. So, to, for, so the thoughts and the fluctuations, all the things that are constantly uh, moving through the mind, and they're mostly in words, mostly stories, to allow this to, to subside, to come clear. And when that happens, when the mind comes clear, then we are aware, we're bright, awake, aware 
but there's no thoughts. So this subject, the observer, and the object, that which is being observed, the subject and object blend together. It's actually the subject and the act of observing. I mean, the observer, the act of observing, and the subject. These, two, these things come together and become one thing. So in, in meditation, in our deep meditation, we have this uh, experience of samadhi or yoga or oneness consciousness. Oneness consciousness, that is, where there is no longer uh, an, an observer and a thing to be observed, where there is only existence being. Existence being, no perception, but we are aware and bright and awake in ourself, and restored to our own true nature. So, and in the beginning of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, the second sutra, he says, uh, yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodha. And this yoga means coming together, bringing together of the attention, the awareness with our essence of being. Bringing the attention and awareness together with this pure essence, this pure existence being, where there is no thought and no object outside. So when our awareness is able to come together with that, we're experiencing yoga or samadhi. And the chitta vrittis are the fluctuations. That is, in the field of awareness, we have these thoughts and emotions and memories and stories and uh, ideas and concepts and all these things that keep bubbling up into the field of awareness that keep... Um, keep us distracted and, and uh, you know, normal consciousness is, is fragmented and blurred and is just jumping all over, pre-associating. And so, so when we're able to pacify these fluctuations, when we're able to get the thoughts and the feelings, all these things to quiet down, quiet down, quiet down, then we have the opportunity for this yoga, this experience of beingness. And the way that we quiet those thoughts down is nirodha, that is the, to, to resist, to restrain, to use the frontal lobes of the brain. Here are the, the parts which focus attention, but they're also the parts which are wired up to all the other parts of the brain. They're, they have projections into everything else and allow us to inhibit thoughts and emotions and feelings and memories. So this, uh, you know, this beautiful, chrome-plated, beautiful, shining part of our brain in here is is really remarkable. And if we just put our attention up here with the intention of allowing the thoughts to subside, and so when we see thoughts bubbling up, we resist. We, we, we don't fight with them, but we just simply withdraw our attention from them. And as we withdraw our attention, we bring our attention back to some point of focus, then those thoughts subside. Whatever we pay attention to, paying attention, whatever we direct our attention to, is a channel through which our energy, our prana, our life force flows. So what we pay attention to, we energize, we give energy to. And so if a thought bubbles up and we pay attention to it, we give energy to it, it becomes dominant. It possesses our mind. And so so in this process of meditation, we learn to 
in this process of meditation, uh, we learn to disregard the distractions and the thoughts and the memories and the emotions. So we naroda, we resist and restrain. We just gently let them go by redirecting our attention to something that's more useful. In the process, this chitta, the vrittis are fluctuations. So vrittis are changes. The word vritti actually translates to whirlpool or turning. So the turnings in the mind, the turnings in the chitta, in the field of awareness, everything that we're uh, seeing, touching, tasting, everything from the senses, all of our opinion about what's coming in through the senses, and all of our intentions, all this together is this field of awareness, like a, like a movie screen where we're observing the movie of our life. And here on the movie of our life are these fluctuations, these stories, these comings and goings, and circumstances and events, all this. And so when we sit to meditate, we're just simply learning to allow the movie to go on hold, to turn the volume down, to get all this noise and all the narration and all the stories in the background to allow them to just quiet down. And we do this in a very gentle way. We don't do, we, we can't be aggressive and, and confrontational about this because what's being aggressive is the mind and it's being aggressive with itself and it likes to play like that. And so it doesn't work. So the only thing we can do is to be very gentle and to just sort of say, it's time, you know, we'll have a little lullaby here. We're going to, it's time to go to sleep. And so we just give ourselves a little breath to watch or a mantra to listen to something to do to, to allow the mind to become very quiet and to rest. And as it becomes quiet, as the volume of the noise in the mind becomes quiet, then we begin to sense, we begin to have this awareness, this sensation of being, and we're noticing that this is happening. We're noticing the breath, we're noticing that the thoughts are subsiding, we're noticing that the body is very relaxed. We notice this calming on all levels. Our energy is, is relaxing. And as we do that, as we become as we go deeper and deeper into the silence, into the stillness, and have those moments, those pauses, where we recognize that there is no thought. There is, we just, we're just being, we're just awake, we're aware, but there's no thought. And we notice that, and of course the noticing is a thought, so this gets the mind going again, and then, and so then we rest and we relax and we keep our attention focused, and eventually, we have another pause, another space where we notice that we're just away, aware, but there's no thought, there's no object, you see. And so in this way, we gently allow ourselves to be paying more attention to giving our energy, our life force to those pauses, to those quiet spaces where there are no thoughts, no fluctuations, no vrittis. And, and in this way, our meditation progresses until we finally can rest in stillness, in samadhi, in awareness. And so, so this is our meditation process, our practice. And this first sutra, I mean the second sutra, yoga chitta vritti naroda. So yoga is when the vrittis are quieted down, when the mind comes clear, when the body is, is totally relaxed, when we're no longer aware of anything happening around us, 
the senses are, are doing what they do, but our attention is focused inside, deeply inside. And we do this with an attitude of, when I say being open and receptive, where we have all of our attention out listening. We don't know what to expect. We, don't, we have to let go of our concepts, our ideas about what we think meditation is in order to actually have the experience. So we don't know what to expect. It's like walking into a dark room and we don't know where the furniture is and we don't know what's happening, you know, what's on the floor. And so we're, so we're, our senses are all out. We're very alert, very alert to what's happening and what, where are we? And so we have that kind of alert, aware, um, expectation looking, but without a specific focus. So this keeps us, it just keeps us attentive in the process. So we don't sit and meditate just to become deeply relaxed. I mean, this is a benefit. We do become deeply relaxed. And and some people meditate just for that benefit. You know, it releases, reduces stress and anxiety and helps the physiologically helps several things. But our real focus here is to meditate to the point of uh, super conscious awareness. Super is above, above or beyond. Normal consciousness fragmented, blurred, uh, the result of stories. We keep telling ourselves stories. There's an internal dialogue, a narration that never stops. It continues to analyze and uh, criticize and create expectations and have desires. All this story just keeps going and going and going, running and running. And, and so when this when the story comes clear, when the story, you know, subsides, when, it, when we are able to be in that clear awareness, then this is yoga. And then in the third uh, sutra, uh, Patanjali says that when this happens, when this yoga happens, when the, when the vrittis, when thoughts and the stories and all this stuff is quiet, then we experience samadhi, oneness consciousness. So this is... And this is experiencing existence being. There is nothing we can say about it. And when we say existence being, satchitananda, you know, existence, um, awareness, and bliss. This is how it's described. But these are words. These are concepts. These are ideas. And words and concepts and ideas are simply symbols. They're just, they're pointers. It's like the menu. The menu is not the meal. And so we have these words, these ideas that we use that kind of give us some direction, but they are not the thing that we are experiencing. So whatever we think it is that we're going for, it's not that. Whatever our idea about pure consciousness is, it's not that because it's not an idea. It's beyond concept. It's beyond stories. It's beyond words. We can talk about it and around it, but just like any other experience, it's impossible to communicate it. See, I mean, if you've ever been on a roller coaster, you can describe the ride on a roller coaster and you can talk about your hair standing up and your heart beating and grabbing on with white knuckles to the rail and your stomach going up and down. You can talk, you can describe this in ultimate detail. But the description, the story is nothing like actually being on a roller coaster, you know. And so 
So we have to remember as we're doing this that we have to let go of these concepts, let go of these ideas, let go of what we think we're trying to do, let go of all that and just be open to what really is. So, and then in the fourth sutra, Patanjali says, and then when the thoughts begin to percolate back up, when the vasanas, the impulses start to, to have thoughts bubble up, then the seer becomes identified with the thoughts. So when the thoughts begin to bubble up in the mind, in the field of awareness, in the chitta, when the thoughts begin to bubble up, then we become identified with the thoughts once again. We get sucked back into the story. It's a kind of enchantment, magical spell that this mind is doing all the time. And so, and it's okay, you know, we, this, is, this is part of the, the amazing adventure of a lifetime. We're not trying to stop that, but we're trying to be aware, conscious, mindful of what's happening and how it's happening so that we can be liberated, free. Because when we're not, then the problem is that, that the mind is full of um, conditionings. It's full of limitations. It's full of false ideas. It's full of uh, habits and addictions and uh, unfulfilled desires and things that push us around, that, that, that create suffering, create limitation. And so, so in this process, we wake up, and then once we become fully awake, we're able to neutralize all those conditionings, all the karmas, all the, all the places where we used to get pushed and pulled around, you know, all the um, not useful behaviors and addictive things. We learn to just be able to let those go, disregard them. They become neutralized in time with our practice. And then when they become neutralized, when they are let, when we do let go of them, then we are, we live free. We have our attention. We have our energy. We're able to function fully in the world. And so, so meditation becomes the, the kind of the, the foundation, as I said, the cornerstone for our practice, because it allows us to come back into this experience of being, to come back into the experience of being the witness, the seer, the observer, um, that which is not the mind and not the compulsions and not the, the conditionings, but rather that which is behind all this. It is here just noticing. And of course, uh, as we meditate, we're not aspiring to become something better than we were when we started. We're not aspiring to change ourselves. All we're doing is learning to wake up, to literally to wake up to what we already are. So, so this can be a gentle process, and we want to do it in a in a gentle way. You know, we want to be nurturing and supportive of ourselves, be respectful of this body and this mind and all the experiences that it contains and has had and all the influences, everything that has come, come to be able to create this being where I am right now, this mind-body um, interesting accumulation of stuff, you know, um, to be able to appreciate that and to appreciate that it has come through whatever its adventure is in harmony with life. Life is unfolding through us, as us. We interact with others. And, and as we go through this process, you know, it's useful to be, to be aware that 
we got to where we are right now, this point in time and space in our life, we got here as the result of things that have happened all through our life. Many causes have produced the effects that have turned into this life where we are right now. Many causes. And the causes begin, the influences and the causes begin in this, for our expression, for the being that we're operating now. Uh, they begin with life on the planet. So in the earliest DNA of the earliest uh, organisms that grew, they reproduced and they duplicated. And some of that DNA and some of that intelligence of that life passed on and passed on and became other forms and differentiated and became more interesting and uh, more stuff. But part of that is in us. And then in the same way, all of our ancestors, we can go back to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and great, great grandma. And, and every one of them has made a contribution and we're carrying and we carry the the mitochondria is all passed on by the mother. So it's a matriarchal line. So the mitochondria that's in you is the same mitochondria that was in your mother and your grandmother and your great grandmother going back for as many generations as you can imagine. The same mitochondria, the same DNA passed on and the DNA and the, and the epigenetic aspects um, of what your parents went through and your grandparents went through those all influence. They are all part of the operating system that we are given when we get this body, you know. So, so just on a very physiological level, we have tremendous influences as we come into the planet. People, we have seven and a half billion people on the planet right now, and there's no two of them that are the same. No two are identical. No two are identical in any in any form in any way. Not only do we look different and have different fingerprints, they've never found two fingerprints that were exactly the same. Although, you know, they haven't looked at all seven and a half billion people. So there's a chance there may be two that are the same, but, but probably not. And then we're all carrying around, uh, you know, trillion um, uh, little bacteria and funguses and viruses and all these things in our microbiome. So we have a whole culture that we carry around as part of us, and it has a tremendous influence, a tremendous effect on what we think. It, it creates neurotransmitters and hormones and, and uh, encourages us to eat certain things and not eat certain things and, um, and to react in certain ways. You know, you've heard, everyone's heard about the, the gut feeling. You have a gut feeling about something. Well, there is actually a sensor, there's actually part of your brain that is in your gut and that is sensitive to what's happening and does have feelings and, and causes you to respond in certain ways. And we have a, a tremendous brain in our heart that is a receptor, it's an electromagnetic receptor, which is sensitive to, I think they, the measurement of the field that they could measure is about 15 feet around the heart uh, is actually, it has that electromagnetic interaction. So it's feeling the vibrations and electromagnetic input as well as subtle vibrations. And it has part of our brain. The heart has part of our brain in it. And the heart brain is 
is where our feelings are. So we have a, we have a you know a feeling or response to something, and we have a sensation, an idea. Well, this is good or this is not so good, and it's not logical. It doesn't come from the logical, rational, figuring it out part. It comes directly from this perception, which is the heart. And of course, in our one of our objectives on our spiritual path is to bring together the the rational mind and the heart to find the balance between these two where we can live effectively too much heart we're emotional we're you know wobbly and um an emotional wreck all the time and um, mr davis used to say squishy people get really squishy and you know they're overreacting and and uh, letting their emotions push them around um, so we don't want to be over emotional and at the same time we don't want to be so intellectual that we are stuffing our emotions and avoiding them and thinking that we're not supposed to have emotions because emotions is what moves us you know motion is the big part of the word emotion and so 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 both of these are come into harmony come into balance together as we wake up and become more conscious more mindful and this is part of our spiritual awakening path so instead of being totally controlled by the mind brain and its obsessions and in all of the conditionings the things that have happened to us in this life the traumas you know we've had the abc wide world of sports when i was young used to start their program the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat and so we've all experienced the thrill of victory We've had some wonderful things that have happened, amazing, wondrous, awesome. And we've all experienced the agony of defeat where things just didn't work and, you know, everything fell apart. So this is life. Thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And so we can come into the, to the place where we are moving, moving with life, moving fully in harmony with life without being the effect of all these causes that have produced these effects in us so we can disconnect ourselves from um, so many of these conditionings and it's also useful for us as we you know as we look at this kind of this big picture um, it's also useful for us to kind of be to develop a sense and i think it's something that's worth contemplating worth thinking about becoming aware of and that is when we ask ourselves, who's in charge of this body? Who is running the show? And then if we're honest, we, we say, well, I mean, obviously you're not running the body because your body is beating its heart and breathing and circulation is happening. The immune system is out running around looking for invaders and getting rid of, you know, possible challenges. Um, you're, your digestive system is processing the food. Um, kidneys are purifying and cleaning and getting rid of the waste. And um, there's just a million, a trillion functions that are going on at on the cellular level, on the organ level. Every single cell in your body is a unit of a, it's a it's a, a life a life unit is a unit of awareness. It has its own intelligence. It has its own ability to reproduce, its own ability to sense what's going on in the environment around it and to respond. Each cell in your body is a life, see? 
and all those trillions of cells in your body all work together harmoniously and who's running the show nobody the show runs itself there is an intelligence an order that is present in your body in your organism and there is an intelligence that is not driven by some top-down administration but rather it's inherent in the organism itself so the organism grows out of itself it's self-organizing it has its own intelligence innate intelligence and we are sitting here on top of it going along for the ride thinking that we're so special well you know we have an opportunity to use this form and to interact and relate but this is an expression of ultimate reality this is an expression of the universe that we have been blessed to interact with and to occupy and in the same way we can ask ourselves about nature so we look around us at the world around us and we ask ourselves who's in charge who keeps the you know who keeps the world spinning in just the right way you know who makes sure that the moon is exactly the right distance from the sun 204 i mean from the earth 240,000 miles um, if it was a little bit closer gravity would take over and it would crash into the planet and that would be a real problem and if it was a little bit further away it would change the influence that it has on the tides and some of the the, the effects on cellular matter and so things wouldn't work if we were about four feet closer to the sun the earth would burn up and if we were about four feet further away from the sun it would be too cool and the planet couldn't exist like it is who keeps all this working you see and who keeps the environment you know we have the seasons and and the you know the clouds come and the rain comes and everything everything works it works it's all there's some kind of intelligent harmonious balance inside the system and we're part of that we're part of that harmonious balance we're part of that org self-organizing uh, experience of life on the planet so i think it's useful to have some context you see to see that we are not separate we're not outside we are part of this and it is functioning as us and through us in miraculous ways and we are interacting and functioning with it in miraculous ways the connections that come to us the invitations that life presents us the opportunities these things all come they come not because we make something happen and not because somebody you know the great you know the great long-haired bearded father up behind the clouds is sitting there and you know like santa claus checking to see who's naughty and who's nice and and designing and you know sitting there at his drafting table and designing okay well we need to do this next and invent that and create this no we don't have a a creator that is a maker that is like a cosmic potter rather creation organically blossoms out of itself and has its own innate intelligence and we are part of that inseparable part of that it's happening as us now and so we'll have an opportunity we had i had a question that came in yesterday in my email uh, about the processes of cosmic manifestation and how all of this you know big picture works and uh, so we'll talk about that more later this week um, 
but it is good to to just contemplate what am I and what's happening here and what's the relationship with this larger reality and to have you know have a little bit of context because it's very easy it's very easy to become enchanted to get to be to, to, they, 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 they are casting spells all the time when I say they it's not the evil forces out there it's just the other aspects of life that are dancing with itself and so you know we're going through some very interesting times on the planet right now with this pandemic and people sheltering at home and and other people that think sheltering at home is uh, interfering with their rights and they think they have the right to go out and make as many people sick as they want so they go out and get together in groups and protest this and protest that and all this stuff is going on and it's really easy to be enchanted to to pay attention to this to bring this into our awareness and then to allow it to grow because we're paying attention to it and then pretty soon we're, we're possessed we're carrying around this concept this entity this story it's carried around and it dominates our awareness and it controls us and we become anxious and fearful and we become addicted to the story what's next I have to tune in tomorrow to see you know who's beating who up um and this is craziness so so it is useful for us to be aware of what's happening, but with a context of it's all part of this beautiful drama that's unfolding. And, and this process is an evolutionary process that is moving in the direction of harmony and fulfillment and balance. And we're in the middle of a very, very um, intense transitional period. And when we're in the middle of an intense transitional period, when this transformation is taking place, it's impossible to see where it's going. There is no way to guess. There's no way to guess what's next. No one, I don't care how much, how bright they are and how many supercomputers they have and how many think tanks they have, no one can guess what's happening next. The future is unwritten. We do know that there will be some more interesting times and challenges along the way we're not out of this yet and uh and so but it's good for us to be reminded that you know this too will pass away that everything will be okay in the end the, the movie the marigold hotel uh whatever that was the last sentence in that movie is that everything will be all right in the end and if it's not all right then it's not the end so we can be uh, optimistic and we can be encouraging and we can not allow ourselves to be enchanted by the little spells that are being cast around. You know, whenever you listen to someone or whenever you talk to someone, when those, those words, those words have energy, they're symbols and they carry with them energy concepts and this energy and these concepts change the mind. They change, they rewire the brain actually. So whatever we listen to, whatever we pay attention to is rewiring us. We are, you know, we are being changed by what we expose ourselves to. And whatever we say and whatever we talk, however we communicate, is also casting little spells and communicate. So we want to be mindful of that we are um, remaining positive and optimistic, that we are saying the things and encouraging things that are moving in harmony with what we want to experience in life you know that which is the optimum 
and that we avoid allowing ourselves to be um, conditioned and enchanted by the things that are going on around us. And so coming back to meditation, meditation gives us this opportunity to rest in the quiet still space that is not involved in any of the dramas, that's not involved in any of the stories, this place where we can be grounded. And the more time we spend being grounded, if we come back to this day after day after day after day, the more time we spend being grounded, the less influence these external things have over us. The more we can remain objective, we can see, oh, okay, that's what's happening, and that's what's happening, and I don't have to be drawn into the drama. I don't have to be, you know, drawn into the melodrama and the conditioning. So that can be useful. So, um, so that's enough this morning. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about meditation, specifically some meditation techniques and kind of how to establish and set up our practice. So that will be uh, very practical. And then we'll, we'll continue on as the week goes. Until then, be very joyful. Appreciate the awe and wonder and the magic that is the world and uh, live in it consciously, mindfully.